In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. I get a much better response from that than I do from usually good morning, so uh, that's great, especially the early liturgy. But as Father Thomas always says, it's better to preach at the first liturgy because we're fresher than at the second liturgy, which is later. So today, we commemorate the myrrh-bearing women And if you look on the front cover of your weekly bulletin, you don't have to do that right this second, uh, you will find all the names listed that we know of, at least. There may have been more, but they weren't listed. And one of them is Susanna. So, Susan, happy name day to you. We also commemorate today St. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both who were secret disciples of the Lord, And both of them held extremely high positions in Jewish society. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. He was on the Sanhedrin council. And he had a lot to lose in being a disciple of our Lord, earthly speaking. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, high up in the order of the religious ranks of Judaism, Judaism, and he too had a lot to lose in terms of his earthly position, his influence, and everything that went with that. And I wanted to just talk about those two first, because in the end, Joseph of Arimathea lost his place on the Sanhedrin Council. He lost all of his wealth, He lost his home. He lost his place in society, completely ostracized from his position that he had in Judaism in Judea, all because he became a disciple of Christ. And I want us to think about that and apply it to our own life personally. What choices would we make if all of those things that I just mentioned were at stake? Would we be bold and courageous? Would we think about heaven or earth, the eternal or the temporal? I actually am standing before you, and I can't rightly say with certainty exactly how I would act. I hope I would act one way, but I can't tell you if I would be willing in this moment to give all of that up. Nicodemus, the same exact thing. He maybe didn't have quite as much to lose as Joseph of Arimathea. Now I want to turn our attention to the myrrh-bearing women. I want you to remember that at the time of Christ's arrest and his crucifixion, there was only one of the twelve that remained by Jesus' side who even went to the cross, and that was John. All the rest fled because they were afraid that they would be treated just like their Lord and Master. And again, I want you to apply that to your own life. How brave and courageous would we be seeing the treatment that they were applying to Jesus? John must have loved Jesus so much. But how about these women? These women also saw how Jesus was being treated, but they did not leave his side, not for a moment. 
They were there at the cross. They saw where Joseph and Nicodemus laid him in burial in the virgin tomb. And they knew that in haste, because the Passover was just about to take place, and that if a person was exposed to a dead person, a dead body, that it would defile them, and they would not be able to fully participate in the Feast of Passover, religiously speaking. And all of the apostles, all of the myrrh-bearing women were very, very faithful Jews, and they did not want to be defiled. Even though they loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they knew it was His will that they fulfill the Passover. And so they didn't finish the Jewish rites of burial because of the time. They did a little bit, and then they put him in the tomb, and they sealed it with a large stone, and then they knew that the Jews placed guards over that tomb so that no one, quote-unquote, could steal the body and say that Jesus had risen from the dead. All of this the myrrh-bearing women knew, and it pierced their soul and their heart because they wanted to do right by their Lord and Master, but they couldn't because of the Passover. So Friday evening comes, Saturday comes, and as soon as it is legally Sunday, then these myrrh-bearing women rise before it even becomes light, and they're carrying I don't know how many pounds of spices and oils, and ointments to finish the Jewish burial rites for their Lord and Savior. Their love was so powerful that it overcame their fear. It overcame even the practical considerations that we would all take. For example, how were they going to get access to the tomb? How were they going to roll away the stone? How were they going to convince the guards to give them that access? What were they going to do and facing all of these challenges? But these practical considerations did not stop them. Where were the other disciples? Where were the apostles? These myrrh-bearing women were so courageous, so filled with love, so filled with a sense of duty to their master that they just forged ahead and it's interesting, when they got to the tomb, they were rewarded in a magnificent way. Angels had caused the sleep to come upon the guards. They, by their power, had removed the stone. And they, these myrrh-bearing women, got to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. They got to be the apostles to the apostles. The angels say to them, go and tell the disciples and Peter that the Lord is risen and that he will meet them in Galilee. It's interesting that these angels single out Peter. Peter, the one who denied the Lord three times, who at this moment when the myrrh-bearing women are witnessing the empty tomb, his heart is broken. He is feeling all of the weight of his denial. And Jesus tells the angels to pass on the message, tell the disciples and Peter that I will go and meet them in Galilee as I foretold them. 
He singles out Peter because Peter needed the reassurance that he was still loved and accepted and would be forgiven. So my dear brothers and sisters, as we look at these events surrounding the resurrection and we look at the the courage and the love of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and the myrrh-bearing women whom we commemorate all together today, let us also be inspired to let nothing come between us and our love for the Lord, nothing earthly. For if we were to lose the whole world but maintain our soul, then we will be inheritors of everything that a human being could ever need or want or to desire. But we could gain the whole world and forfeit our soul, and for eternity we would be empty-handed. Actually, it would be worse than that. We would be at a deficit. So let us be reminded on this day particularly to set our priorities right and to move God and our soul and our eternal destiny to the top of our priority list, that we may be inheritors of everything that God has promised us. Amen.